If you're enjoying Night Faces, please check out our Patreon subscriptions for access to soundtracks, cool merch items, bonus episodes of Night Faces, and our Patreon-exclusive award-winning anthology series, Middle West. Fan support helps us to continue making these shows and is greatly appreciated. Welcome. Half Bad Productions presents Night Faces. Episode 2, What Savior? West Sal sits on the river with a small dam in the center that the locals fish. Gas stations, small strip malls, a busy interstate, and fast food are bold in the center. And then farmland, cornfields, lush forest, and sandy soil. Small towns in the pockets and openings, and unincorporated towns boasting long ditches and log cabin bars. There's some beautiful old homes, mansions even, but they are rotting. An old convent sits in the center, long disregarded now barren of all the living. It stands as a reminder of a more flourishing time. In the 1950s, people flocked to the area, mesmerized by the promise of afterlife. Somehow, even for the devout, heaven felt elusive. Maybe that's because of the promise of hell too. A shrine was opened in the neighboring town. The area was mostly Catholic, and the church didn't recognize the miracle, but as it was said, a couple out in the field had seen the actual Virgin Mary. Not a pancake, not a shadow on burnt toast, but the actual Virgin Mary appeared to them at the top of the hill. Swiftly, a shrine was built around the mystical spot, a small amphitheater, a school eventually, built in the shape of a cross a bird's eye view of a brick and mortar crucifix with children spilling in and out of it. The magic was in the water. It was said that if you were to drink the water within a 20 mile radius, maybe more, maybe less, these things aren't an exact science, that you would be saved. Eventually, God will smite us all. And when he does, even the faithful, even the pure, want extra assurance. Many families came to be in this pilgrimage, small homes popping up within comfortable distance of the shrine. Not all believers, but interested in the benefits all the same. The towns themselves built in the comfort of a ghost. 
a figure only seen in shadow, walking along and then gone, settling into story and hope. Hope that there's more than this. Hope that if there is, we get to see it. Delilah's family had carved out a pocket in the forest, about 10 miles from West Sal. Her parents had cleared the land themselves, turning trees to brush and fire and then dust, planting new trees, creating a clearing with grass and gardens in a small home. When she was young, they rented an A-frame near the shrine, and when the millennium came, she and her family were booted out. No notice. The landlord boarded the house up, filled the rooms once warm with quilted beds, wicker baskets filled with toys, and Christmas mornings echoing the squeals of pure delight, now cold and dark. Aluminum cans, tuna, and dried foods stacked tall in all the corners. He had told Delilah's parents that the rapture was coming, and he needed to prepare shelter for those who would be saved. It was evident, then, that although they had drank the water purely from a geographical standpoint, they were not among the ones who would be setting foot in the kingdom of heaven. And that stuck with Delilah. When Magda came to West Sal, it was at the height of it all. She was just a girl. Her mother had heard of the sighting and packed Magda up and moved her across the country. They left behind her older sister, Anna, who was 17, almost of age, and absolutely refused to leave. And Magda's father, who refused to leave Anna. From a young age, Magda realized it was all bullshit. Not the sighting itself, but what followed. She and her mother found an old farmstead. Almost impossible for the two of them to keep up with alone. Especially when her mother got sick. Sitting in the living room in her dressing gown, screaming at the demons in the TV. She carried holy water with her and blessed Magda whenever she came into the room. Eventually, though, after discarding all of her medications, she could barely recognize Magda, now a young woman. Get out, you demon, she would scream. Magda would kneel down in front of her and softly say, Mama, it's me. Her mother would spit in her face, splash the holy water at her. Pray for your savior. Pray, girl, because you are no daughter of mine. It was then that Magda would stand, brush her dark curls behind her ears, and feel a darkness rise in her. She would look down at this woman, and as deeply as she could mutter, she would say, What savior? The sound was almost better than the smell, sizzling and popping, grease spitting up from the frying pan. Magda flips four eggs one after the other with a cigarette hanging from her thin red lips. She turns off the heat and slides them onto two porcelain plates and sets them on the table. Magda's kitchen has a window above the sink that looks out to an open field. 
There are chickens roaming the yard. Dusty lace curtains, a veil between the smoky air inside and the fresh breeze just past the threshold. She sits down and pushes the second plate across the table to Henry. She notices his handshake as he places a cloth napkin over his lap. Henry, please, dear, eat. Anna will come round shortly. I've already called her. Anna, his wife. Henry hadn't thought to contact her. The police had brought him into the station for a full statement. Hours and hours passed, but nothing Anna wasn't used to when he'd go out hunting. There was never really a time requirement. She liked being home alone to read. Magda, who's out there? Do you know? I I couldn't make out her hair even. It was just all, all red and dark. And I just couldn't. I told the police. Henry paused to think for a moment. To look for better words, but none came. I just couldn't give them much. It was a girl. I know that. I know, honey. Magda searched his eyes, followed them around the room as he tried to muster up something. But she knew. He didn't know who it was, and neither did she. Henry, just eat. Anna picked Henry up not long after. They embraced longer than usual. The dog jumped into the back of their truck, and Magda waved as they drove down her long driveway knowing Henry would be okay. Maybe some nightmares. Maybe a closer sense of death and the unforgiving parts of being a man. But he would lay with his wife in the evening hours that call for such thoughts. And she would put her hands over his, and she would take the fear and put it somewhere else for him. When they cleared the drive, Magda reached into her pocket for the handkerchief, now dried with blood. She closed her eyes and ran it through her hands again. Searching her mind's eye, she began walking toward the road. She knows where she needs to be. She walks along the shoulder, her hand moving in waves over the tall grass and wildflowers lining the way. It's about a mile to the bar now covered in police tape. She had called Michelle right after it happened and asked her to do a phone tree of the girls to make sure everyone had gotten home safe and she still hadn't heard back. She knew the body would be identified soon enough but the part of her that knew even more felt something was wrong. She hurried into the club clutching the bloodstained cloth in her hands. She walked past the silver archway past the dressing rooms, and she pulled the dark curtain open to the small room. But before she could step in, she was stopped. She froze in place. A barrier invisible to most, but not her, had been sewn into the trim of the doorway, ethereal and cautioning, behind her shoulder, breathing. But not real breath, not the earthly kind. A presence was commanding her attention, telling her not to meddle. Her heart was beating heavy now. She could hear her own breaths. The darkness in her was starting to consume her arms and hands. They were so heavy and then all of a sudden floating. She knew what this meant. She pushed past the warning, aware now, 
that this was the beginning of something. Behind the curtain, a match lights. Magda mutters, dried blood softens. The candle glows through, but then swiftly burns out. Magda asks, who? Chuck scrapes across the floor. Tell me who it is. A small child's voice answers. Okay. Chuck scrapes across the floor again. Magda cries. No, no. Dear God, no. Outside town, on the opposite side of Magda's place, Jerry flips on an open sign. Summer is burning on, leaving its infancy and gaining even more heat. The humid air is so thick you can actually see it and taste it. He arranges the letters for a specials board, and he pours himself a thick shot of sweet honey vodka. He pours himself another after that. He moves through his restaurant, adorned with taxidermy, large steins, and cheap Christmas lights, to the outside patio where his employees sit and smoke on their breaks, and between serving tables, too. Mostly school teachers in need of a second income. The patio fills with families in the summer, waiting for large plates of smoked pork. The animal spins around on display over crackling flames, and for $14 a plate, you can pick your cut. Jerry takes a seat at the patio table and pulls out a cigar to puff. His heart is beating heavy from the short walk around the restaurant. Amanda, one of his servers, sits down next to him and lights a smoke. How you doing, Jer? He looks over to her and takes a moment to catch his breath before ultimately laboring over his words. Oh, good, good. Better now, huh? Oh, I bet. She reaches over to touch his arm and give it a squeeze. It's been so nice having you back. And you know, no one believed it for a second. We know how much you care for that girl. When police identified the body weeks earlier, they found it was a young woman who worked at Night Faces. Body abandoned in torment, blunt force trauma. It was not ceremonious. She wasn't tucked away, hands laid neatly over one another. Only quick violence, her body half buried. They pulled credit card transactions from the bar and investigated everyone who had been there in recent days. Jerry's loyalty came to burn him. The truth was, he and Magda had been friends for a long time, both supporting one another's establishments. He cared for the girls that worked there. In such a small town, a murder like that, the body out in the woods, it didn't take long for rumors to set in. When Jerry became a suspect, it almost ruined his business. The girl was pretty beat up beyond the injuries that took her. It was dark. Ultimately, Jerry's alibi came through, but he wasn't sure that it really cleared his name. The police arrested a young man who knew the girl. Some people in town felt relief. No monster roaming the countryside. No reason to lock the doors at night. There's a certain amount of distance people need between themselves and tragedy. A crime of passion is singular to those involved. The girl worked at night faces. She took her clothes off in front of men. She was asking for it. These thoughts allow everyone in town to sleep comfortably at night, to keep that distance. 
Jerry looked around at his patrons, the patio tables full again after the unrest. He felt relief too. After four $1 gen rails, Krasa settled into his evening. He decided to take Magda up on her famous fish fry, and it's his first time visiting Night Faces. The place is packed, but it seems as if there's no one his age or even close. A few people are paying attention to the stage, but the bar is mostly buzzing. It's not like the strip clubs in the city. Not that he's been to many. Maybe the random bachelor party excursion that always ended in blackout drunk shenanigans and shitty best man speeches the following day, dripping sweat and old liquor at the head table. But everything here has had a way of being different so far. Cross had found a spot close to the stage when he first arrived for dinner, and now he sets his fifth gin on the round table, littered with his empties. He pulls the chair from under it and positions it to face the stage now that he's sufficiently drunk and less embarrassed. A woman, probably in her 30s, is dancing to a familiar song. He feels his face blush over as she passes by, and he looks around to see if anyone else is paying attention. Magda is at the bar, and she catches his eye. He quickly looks away. She heads over to his table with a bottle and two shot glasses in her hand. You having a nice time, honey? Cross feels a little heavy now, a numbness setting in that he prefers. Oh yeah, it's a great place you have here. Do you have any younger dancers? He laughs a little as he asks the question. Magda pauses and her face darkens for a moment. A familiar expression, Cross is starting to understand. She pours the two of them a shot and she slides one toward him. This next song is my favorite. feel the music beating in his chest, his ears ringing. He takes the shot that Magda poured for him and looks toward the swaying silver curtain, and he sees her. She smiles a little when she walks out, and she looks so different from anyone he's seen, ever. Her song is slower than the others, her movements soft, her hips shining from the purple sequence-lined fabric around her waist her bare chest, her hands moving down her torso. But it's her eyes that have Cross mesmerized, deep and dark and fixed on him. Her skin so pale, it almost looks translucent. Her body captured in the darkness and her skin is moonlight. She makes her way to him. Magda watches Cross, fixated on the stage. A dumb smile on his face, but only at the corners as he tries to stay focused. She clears the glasses from the table and runs a bar rag over it and then touches Cross's shoulder. You should get home. You've probably had enough for the night. Cross doesn't look over to her. And listen, I need to talk to you about something tomorrow. Cross nods this time. Magda shakes her head and walks away. Cross stands and walks over to the stage. 
the girl leans down and over the sound of the music says, You're new here. Her smile closer to him now, even being near her feels unreal to cross. He wants to touch her, but he doesn't. He can barely think of what to say to her. What's your name? He asks. She stands up, her song finishing. My name is Delilah. Hi, I'm Isabel, the creator, writer, and voice behind Night Faces, and I want to take a moment to talk to you about Apollo Plus. Night Faces recently joined the Apollo Plus exclusive roster. What that means is that you can listen to the show ad-free, gain early access to new episodes and seasons, more on that later, and a bunch of other cool stuff. And don't worry, you can still listen to Night Faces for free on your favorite podcast apps. This is just one way you can help support us. Apollo Plus is a creator-owned platform where every subscriber helps audio fiction creators. When you subscribe, you are supporting not only your favorite shows, but probably your soon-to-be new favorite shows, too. There's so much to discover there. And the exclusive content you have access to comes from a curated catalog of top-notch audio fiction. Not only that, but creators receive 70% of their revenue on Apollo Plus, so that they can create a new series or another season of your favorite show, all thanks to you. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcast app or by going to apollopods.com.